All right, well tonight we are studying a document. Of, uh, because I'm going to do just a little bit of a summary since um, we've got some here that um, are not familiar with this. But this is a document that is called the Didache. Didache. It is a document that is a, um, they believe it is a mid to late 1st century document, possibly an early 2nd century document. They believe that it was a document that um, likely predated much of the New Testament, if not all of the New Testament. Uh, there are many that believe that this is a document that may have been what we could call the first New Testament Bible. It was the first uh, teaching of the apostles, if you will, and it was a summary of their teaching for how a Christian and a new Christian specifically uh, should be trained to live. What kind of lifestyle is expected to a person who has said that they are a believer in Jesus Christ, their sins have been washed away, the old man is dying, the new man is coming to life? What does that type of person and what kind of lifestyle should they be living? And so that is basically what this document is about. Uh, just for um, a reminder, I want you to remember that this is not Holy Spirit-inspired material. As far as we know, um, we don't know for certain who the actual author is. All we know is that early church fathers quoted this particular document as they were teaching. And so they understood it as good, sound Christian teaching. Alright? And so I'm not teaching this as if it is actually Holy Spirit-inspired biblical doctrine. But it is an interesting document to me. And um, it, it, because I'm getting ready to start teaching on what, I, what is called a catechisms, and that's just a fancy word that simply means to instruct. It, it, it's a way to, to organize material and teach and train up disciples. This was one of the very first of what um, the early church would have called a catechism. All right, And so this is a document, again, here's the summary. This is a document that just basically took the truths of the teachings of the apostles and it put it into summary form to show them this is what a life looks like whenever it's lived out as a Christian. And so tonight we are in chapter 3. And we are toward the bottom of, um, of, of that chapter, um, or on page 2 there. I think we got to the part where it says, the next to last sentence on that page, My child, be not a liar. I think that's where we got to. That's where I've got highlighted anyway. Am I correct in that? Does anybody remember? Okay. So we're going to pick up right there. <clears throat> he says, My child, be not a liar, since a lie leads to theft. Now, one of the things that they believe this was talking about is that it's likely a reference to the story of Ananias and Sapphira. How many people remember that story? Somebody give me the summary of that story. What happened? What'd they do? They sold a field, okay. So everybody was kind of selling things and giving it to the church, so the church had to be able to support the poor and things like that, correct? And they sold some land. All right. And then what'd they do? Yeah. 
Okay. That's right. And why did they lie? Well, I mean, why did they fall dead? All right. And the Bible says specifically they lied to the Holy Spirit, exactly what it says. And ultimately what it was, was they, um, I think it was Peter, and you can find this in the book of Acts, but I think it was Peter. He came back to them and he told them, he said, listen, when the land was yours, was it not yours to do with whatever you wanted? In other words, was there any law that said they had to sell that land and give it to the church? No. People were just doing this as, as, a, as the generosity of their heart. People were selling their things. and they Honestly, there was a mindset back in this day and time that the Lord Jesus was literally fixing to come back. And don't get me wrong, was it, is, it, is that true then and is it still true today? Yes. But they literally believed that we're just waiting any minute He's fixing to come back because He just left. We're just waiting on Him to come back. Their mindset was, we will sell everything we have and we'll just all have all things in common. But there was never a specific law that said that they had to do that. That's what they were doing out of the hope of Christ's return and out of their desire to care for the poor and the people around them and to, to share with their brothers and sisters, which was a very noble thing, right? But the problem was, they did it out of an evil heart. They came before the church and they said, we sold such and such land for such and such price. Um, and they basically told the church, or the Holy Spirit in this case, that here, we want to give you this, this great offering. And then ultimately, they found out that that's not what you sold it for. And basically, what you're doing is you're lying to God. You're not lying to me. You're not lying. You, it, you, it, when it was yours, you could do with it whatever you wanted. And so the point here is that a Christian should not have a heart that um, is easily tending toward lying because that's what, that's what led them into thievery in this point. Because they were willing to tell the lie, and that's what he's saying right here, my child, be not a liar since a lie leads to theft. And so ultimately the point of um, chapter 3 here is their... All of these things that may seem like little small things can lead to big things. And so a child of God, a Christian, should try to abstain from even the small appearances of evil. That's the reason if you look at the very first part of chapter 3 there, notice he says, my child, flee from what? Every evil thing and from every likeness of it. And then notice what he says next. Be not prone to anger, because anger does what? Leads to murder. You see what I'm saying? And so basically when you go down through here, we find out that anger leads to murder. Jealousy, being quarrelsome, being hot-tempered, all lead to murders. If you follow that next. And so things that may not necessarily be evil in and of themselves, like, uh, like we talked about last week, is anger always wrong? No, there are some things that you have every reason to be angry at, right? But we have to be careful that a Christian is not somebody that is prone to anger, not somebody that is hot-tempered. We need to be somebody that is just the opposite of that. We need to be somebody that's slow to anger, that has a long fuse on them. 
And somebody that's not prone. And what does it mean to be prone to something? That's right. It's something you typically do. And so we need to make sure that as Christians, the kind of person that we are called to be is a person that is just like the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And is the Lord Jesus Christ quick-tempered? No. He says, I'm slow to anger. I'm patient. I'm kind. Now, does that mean that Jesus never got angry? No. But So that's what we're looking at here. Is we're looking at the kind of person and the behaviors of a person that is following the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, these, In this particular chapter, it's about avoiding even the minor appearances of evil because ultimately they can lead you into big things. Big things. Now we get into lying. That lying, and lying in many contexts leads to many different sins, right? Leads to many different things. But in this particular one, it is believed that he's pointing back to an example that they would have likely remembered, and that would have been Ananias and Sapphira and what happened with them. And just a reminder that, hey, here's a good reason to avoid lying. You remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? You know where that started? Started with a what? With a lie. And if the lie had never been there, if they hadn't never decided first off to come and lie, they would not never have been in the situation they were in to begin with. But the lie led them into thievery, and not just thievery from people, thievery from God. From God. And so this was a very important thing. My child, be not a liar, since a lie leads to theft. Next he says... Be neither money-loving nor vainglorious. In other words, don't glory in vanities. Don't glory in things that are, are useless and temporary. So don't be money-loving. Don't be vainglorious. Why? Because out of these things, thefts come as well. And so the fact that Ananias and Sapphira were willing to be a liar led them to thievery. They also were money-loving apparently, right? They apparently gloried in vanities and things that, that ultimately didn't matter to begin with. And because of that, those things led them into thefts. Those things led them into thievery. And so this is just simply a father to a child, to a Christian child, saying, be very careful that you avoid all of these evils, no matter how minor they may look. You ever heard them say, it's just a little white lie? Well, that's what he's getting at here, is it may seem like a little simple thing at first, but ultimately it can lead you into that places that... Look what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. <coughs> Excuse me. I still ain't got my voice all the way back. All right, next. My child, be not a murmurer. What does it mean to be a murmurer? Do what? Okay, but what does it mean to be a murmurer? How, how else, what is, what's another word you could use for murmur? Whisper, gossiper. So, um... Uh, some, some other translations of this document, the Didache, they, they translate it sometimes complainer, grumbler. So, my child, be not a murmur, a complainer, a grumbler, a, somebody that's, that's quick to talk about somebody else, right? 
Why? <coughs> Ms. Isabel said it just then. It leads to blasphemy. What's blasphemy? Hmm? Okay, that's, that's a good, very close. So it, it basically would be anything that speaks evil or speaks against the things of God or even the people of God. Anything connected to God that you would speak in an ill way of or toward, that's what the Bible would consider to be blasphemy. Alright? And so... Here it tells us that a person that is a grumbler or a complainer or someone that's a whisperer or a gossiper, y'all named them all, all right? Any of those things lead to speaking ill against things that are connected to God. Because he's talking about the way here that we relate toward one another. Remember where we started this document, for those of you that have been with us from the beginning. The start of it was, the way of life is two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And what else? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so all of these things are about the way you love God and about the way you love others, right? (coughs) Excuse me. So, if we are a complainer or we're a grumbler about somebody, especially when it comes to our own brothers and sisters, how many of you know that when we grumble about them, ultimately, you're grumbling about somebody that belongs to who? To God. And so it's very important. Let me show you an example of that. Grab your Bible and go to the book of Jude. Grab your Bible and go to the book of Jude. And it's only one chapter, so I'll have to find what verse it is. Jude and verse... um, Start in verse 8, and we'll go to verse (coughs) 9. I've got a water. I just, yeah, I need that right there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, just for context, I want you to understand the book of Jude is about um, addressing false teachers. Teachers that are coming in and, um, and they are not teaching the sound faith. They're not teaching sound doctrine. And so he's addressing this. And notice in verse 8, here's what he says about them. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their what? So here's the problem. The reason these teachers are false teachers is because they're not lying, relying on the Scriptures. But instead, they're relying on something else. Dreams. So... This is where we get into people today to where when you got a preacher standing up here that's telling you that God spoke to him about this and this and this and a dream and a vision and all this, be careful. That's all I'm saying. Now listen, if it lines up with the Word of God, I'm all for it. But when you're telling me you're getting some kind of private revelation um, through a dream that does not line up with the Word of God, this is exactly what Jude was dealing with, all right? They're relying on dreams, and look what happens next. 
They defile the flesh as a result of it. Or in other words, it led them into sexual immorality, as you, if you continue to read the book. They defile the flesh and they reject authority. Now we're going to see that if we get further in the Didache tonight, that authority is something that God established for His glory. As a matter of fact, when God put Adam on this earth, do you remember the command that He gave him? Have dominion. What does it mean to have dominion? Rule over it. Have dominion over all the creation and be fruitful and multiply. And, and, the, and then Eve was to be his helpmate. And then when he had children, he had dominion over them until he raised them up. The point is this. Because God is authority, God created in His image authority. And He commands us from His Word to respect authority. To masters, be obedient to, or to God. Bond servants, be obedient to your masters as to uh, no, matter, no matter where you're looking at. Husbands, wives, children to parents, we are all under authority in some way. But these people, because they didn't rely on the Scriptures, they reject authority. Alright, now keep going with me. And they blasphemed the glorious ones. They were speaking ill of... Um, of angels and, and, um, and God's glorious creations, things connected to God. And he gives an example in verse 9. He says, but look at this. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but only said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are all destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! And so anyway, here's the point. It is believed that this comes from a story from a book called The Assumption of Moses. All right? It's another old book that's not in your Bible. But there was a story that the devil and Michael the archangel were fighting over the body of Moses. And it's believed that the devil, because Israel was so prone to idolatry, that the devil wanted to know where the body of Moses... Because what happened to Moses when he died? Anybody remember who buried him? God buried him. Go back to Deuteronomy and you can find that. God buried him on the mountain and nobody knew where his body was. Apparently, God gave charge to Michael the archangel to watch over the body of Moses. Satan comes along fighting with Michael the archangel but he wants to know where the body is. All right? And the, the book apparently says the reason why he wanted to know where the body was is because if he could find the body, then he could lead the Israelites to the body of Moses and it become a place of idolatry for them. Instead of following the Lord and following the things of the Lord, they would still be looking toward Moses as their Savior, if you will. And so that's what the fight was about. The point that Jude is making is this. If Michael the archangel would not speak a bad word against Satan when they were fighting over the body of Moses, then what kind of example should that give me and you 
And he called it blasphemy. You see what he's saying? He said he would not speak a blasphemous judgment against Satan. If Michael the archangel would not step as far as to speak a bad word against God's created bad angel, Satan, then how much more should you and I be very careful that we don't speak ill words against things that belong to God either? You see what I'm saying? That's the point of this right here. That's the whole point of what you're reading about. So read it again. Look what it said. My child, be not a murmurer. Don't be a complainer, a grumbler, a whisperer, or a, somebody that's quick to gossip about something because it leads the way to blasphemy. In other words, speaking ill against things of God and things created by and connected to God. And so ultimately, it's like this. How many of you got kids? How long are you and I going to be friends if I, if, if I put down and insult your kid? Come on now, let's just be honest. Anybody want me to pick one? If I start attacking something that belongs to you, something that's precious to you, if I start speaking about something, it don't matter if it's true, does it? <laughs> it belongs to you. It's yours. It's something that is special to you. And so the point that we have to understand here is that God takes very serious. And I believe this is another thing that Jesus was talking about when you go back to Matthew chapter 5. And He said, um, um, I can't remember exactly how He put it, but He said, anyone who says to their brother, thou fool, is in danger of hell fire. You remember that? I really believe that's another point of what He was talking about. Is that we are called to love one another, to honor one another, to respect one another. That don't mean we don't correct one another. That's not what I'm saying. What this is talking about is being a grumbler and a complainer and somebody that is always trying to... A fault finder is what we've always called it, right? No matter what. A fault finder. And instead, we are called to be people that, that teach and that lift up and that encourage and people that, yes, we hold accountable, but not in a way that grumbles and complains and murmurs against each other because that leads the way to blasphemy. Does anybody think that I have misinterpreted that? Alright. So, next he says this, Be neither self-willed nor evil-minded. Why? Because out of these things blasphemies are engendered or they're produced or they give birth to. And so, if you're a self-willed person, what does it mean to be self-willed? Self-centered, wanting what you want, both great examples of it. If you're that kind of person and you're that kind of attitude, then you're likely to always find problems with everybody else and everybody else's ways and their things around you, right? So again, he's just telling you to avoid these type of evils because they ultimately lead to very serious evils. If you're a self-willed person and you don't think of others before yourself, then you're likely to be a grumbler and a complainer and all of these things. And as a result of that, that leads to you being a blasphemous person. And I'm going to tell you, how many of you know we got a whole lot of blasphemies to give an account for one day? Amen? 
If the, when I look at that example and I see that Michael the archangel wouldn't even speak a word against Satan, but the only thing he would say to him is, the Lord rebuke you. That's all he would say. In other words, that's the kind of respect that he had for the things of God. No matter who they were or what they were doing, that's the kind of respect he had for the things of God. I read that tonight and I kind of got set back in my seat a little bit and went, wow. I mean, we have a lot to learn. We have a lot to learn. But being self-willed and being evil-minded, out of those things blasphemies are engendered or produced. Next, he says, rather. So rather means the opposite of this, right? So instead of being self-willed, instead of being a complainer and a grumbler, Instead of being evil-minded, instead the opposite of that would be to be a meek person. What does meek mean? Patient, humble, uh, gentle. That's right. Be a, be a person that thinks of others. So he says here, be a meek person, because the meek shall inherit the earth. Here again, we go back to what Jesus taught in the Beatitudes in this. Is that... Whenever we have this same spirit and the same heart of Christ and the same desire to honor God, the things of God and the people of God and the things connected to God, those are the kind of people that God is going to reward with His new creation. The meek shall inherit the earth. Be long-suffering. So don't be hot-tempered, short-fused, all those other things we've been telling you not to be, right? This is the kind of attitude that you should be trying to put on. Now here's what I say to you tonight. If we're going through these things and you pick one and you say, okay, here's one that I'm not. (laughs) Here's what I do. Then it would be a good time to stop and take a note of this and say, okay, well here's some areas where I know I do this at. Here's some areas where I find myself grumbling and complaining and talking about other of God's servants and other of God's people, or here's some areas where I'm quick-tempered and I'm, I'm self-willed, um, here's some areas that I'm not meek, then it would be a good place for you to look at this and go, okay, this is what the child of God is called to. And so these are areas that I need to start paying attention and I need to start repenting of these things and applying this to my life, being long-suffering, being meek. And then he says, be pitiful. Be guileless, or that word can be translated not tricky, not crafty, um, just a, a simple person. And gentle, and good, and always trembling at the words which you have heard. What does that mean? Fear of God, right? The fear of God. The very thing that we are turning away from is the wrath of God, right? Because of our sins, Right? And so there should still be a trembling in us of of never wanting to be near the wrath of God, but always wanting to be running toward Him so that I can be near Him, so that I can be with Him. And so we're always having that kind of mindset. Then he says, You shall not exalt yourself, nor give overconfidence to your soul. Or you could call this arrogant. Arrogant. You shall not exalt yourself, nor be arrogant about yourself. 
your soul or your, your mind and your feelings, I believe is a good way to be able to see this, your mind and your feelings shall not be joined with lofty ones, but with just and lowly ones shall it have its intercourse. So here's the point in this right here. We're the kind of people... Go with me to Romans chapter 12. Show you what Paul taught on this. <coughs> Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So what Paul was trying to teach us there is this. If you are self-willed and if you are thinking too highly of yourself, if you are arrogant about yourself, then you are misunderstanding what God has done in the body by putting you together with other people. He has put all of us together and we are all individually members one of another. Same thing he told you in 1 Corinthians, just because you're not a hand don't mean you're not part of the body. Just because you're not an eye don't mean you're not part of the body. Just because you're not a foot don't mean you're part, not part of the body. No, every part has its place and its share. And the hand cannot say, well, I'm more important than the foot. Matter of fact, the head cannot say, well, I'm more important than the chest. I mean, each part has a role to play. And God has said it in the, in the body according to the measure of faith that He has given, is what He says in Romans chapter 12. As a result of that, we have to be very careful that we don't think too highly of ourselves, but that we always keep ourselves... And notice what He said in the Didache here again. He said, your soul or your mind and your feelings shall not be joined with lofty ones. What does it mean for your feelings and for your mind to be joined to lofty ones? What would that look like? Hmm? Okay. Maybe it would look like this. Um... Let's say Terry worked for Wells Fargo. That's my bank, by the way. <laughs> He's the president. Terry could do a lot for this church. Terry's sitting pretty. Terry comes in the building and immediately my feelings in my mind go straight to Terry. That's right. And I start showing favor this way. That's, that's right. 
And I really believe this is the point that he's trying to make, is we have to understand that God puts the people in the body and He gives each one a measure of faith for whatever He wants them to do in that body. You may not think your pinky toe plays any part on your body, but you cut that thing off and see how well you walk for a while. That's right. And so I think this is, and how many of you know that that's what we're naturally inclined to do? You're naturally inclined to do. Let me show you an example of it. It's in the book of James. I have to find which chapter. Go with me to James. Chapter 2. James 2, look at verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring... Now back in this culture... To wear a gold ring, and depending on how many rings you had on your finger, it was a measure of status and, and, and your, um, your authority in the world, if you will. And so to have rings on your fingers meant that you were a person of high stature. All right. So he said, if a man comes in wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are, you not, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And so, here's the point that I believe the Didache is making, and I believe Paul makes in Romans, I believe James makes. I believe the point is this. A Christian should be a person that recognizes that God is no respecter of person. Now that does not mean that God does not show favor toward Moses more than Aaron and Miriam, but God is not a respecter of person. God did not show favor toward Moses because Moses was Egypt's great son. God only showed favor toward Moses simply because Moses trusted the Lord. That was it. All right? And what we have to understand is that God is no respecter of person. God don't care 
that um, Terry works for Wells Fargo. God don't care. God don't care that um, uh, President Biden is the President of the United States. God don't look at that and go, wow, he, he deserves my honor and my respect. No. God does not respect person. And what we have to understand is that our responsibility is to be careful that we don't respect person either. But instead, we look at all people as the same, especially all people that God has called into the body of believers and we all have the same hope. I don't care if you have everything or I don't care if you have nothing. It don't matter. And what we have to do, I believe what the Didache is trying to teach us tonight, is that we don't enjoin ourselves with our mind and our feelings to lofty ones. But instead, we do just the opposite. I believe we would be wise to seek out the ones in our fellowship that maybe don't have the same stature of what somebody else would have. But instead, we should be ones to, to look to, to enjoin ourselves with the ones that maybe uh, the, everybody else will look at and say that they're a pinky toe in the place. Or they're a pinky finger, or they're a fingernail, or they're a hangnail. You ever had a hangnail? Well, you know you got hangnails in the body too, but God put them here for a purpose and a reason. And so I truly believe that that is the point, is that a Christian should be very careful to make sure that they're not self-willed, but they are meek, gentle, humble, pitiful, lowly. They are, um, they are not trying to enjoin themselves with lofty ones, but with just and lowly ones. Look what he said back at the Didache again. Your soul shall not be joined with lofty ones, but joined with just and lowly ones shall it have its intercourse. And then finally next he says, accept whatever happens to you as good. Now this is tough right here. Because somebody interpret that for me. Somebody explain that to me. What does it mean to accept whatever happens to you as good? What? Okay. There you go. Mm -hmm. All right. And then, how do we do that? What does he say next? Knowing that apart from God, nothing comes to pass. This is what we talk about when we talk about the sovereignty of God. We don't mean that God is sovereign over some things. No, we believe exactly what the Bible says, that not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from the will of God. And you are worth more than many sparrows. Is that not what he said? So, if not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from, your, apart from the will of God, and you are worth more than many sparrows, is there anything that will happen to you apart from the will of God? So, our advice is that we accept whatever happens to you as good because we know that apart from God, nothing comes to pass. And this is exactly where Job succeeded. 
Do you remember what Job said when the servants came to him and they told him, they said, a, 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 a tornado come and it wiped out your children's house and all your children are gone and your servants are dead. And, and you remember what Job did? He ripped his clothes and he went in the morning. But you remember what he said? The Lord gives and the Lord takes. But what? But blessed be the name of the Lord. Remember, Satan's whole accusation against Job was the only reason he loves you is because you've blessed him. But you take everything away from him, he'll curse you. He won't trust you. And this is what this is calling us to. This is calling us back to a place where we understand that we accept everything that comes our way as good. And then even when Job lost all of his possessions and everything, and even his health, remember what he said? Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked, I came into this world with nothing and what? And I leave with nothing. Job succeeded. That's why you don't hear anything else about the devil after that point. Have you ever noticed that? The devil is gone at that point. You know why? Because Job passed. At that moment, God could have lifted it and it could have all been over. And you say, well, why didn't you, God? Because there was still a work that needed to be done in Job. And God was still going to work good out of all of this through Job. And in this, what happened was Job thought he was blameless and upright. Remember that? But... What happened was this pride that Job didn't even know was in his life. It began to rise to the surface. And he began to justify himself at the expense of God. And he began to say to his friends, not to Satan, to his friends, it's not my fault, it has to be his fault. You remember that? And so what happened was that Job, he was still succeeding, but the problem was he did not continue his absolute trust in this right here. That no matter what happened to him, it was God's will and it would indeed be for his good. Right. It has to be good in some way because you wouldn't be able to get through it if you didn't believe that. That's right. Mm-hmm. If you didn't believe that God gives and God takes away, that's right. You wouldn't be able to go through mm-hmm. this kind of tragedy. That's right. And this is not just something we say to ourselves to make ourselves feel better. This is the truth. The truth is, is that God cares more for you than many sparrows. Not a single sparrow falls from the sky apart from His will. So anything that He allows to take place in your life, He allows it for your good. Whether you understand it, whether you see it, and we don't know how long this thing lasted with Job. We really don't. We don't know how many years even that he went through this terrible health problem, uh, whatever it was, the bulls and the, 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 the inability to even sleep in his own bed at night. We don't know how long this went on. But one thing that we know 
is that at the end of that thing, Job was able to look back and it made himself sick is what Job said. Job said, I make myself sick that I ever justified myself at your expense. He said, I know that no purpose of yours can ever be thwarted. In other words, whatever you choose to do, that's what's going to come to pass and you will always work it for my good and your glory. And that's what Job learned in the end of it. And this is what this teaches us tonight. Except whatever happens to you is good, knowing that apart from God, nothing comes to pass. Chapter 4. I'm going to go about ten more minutes and then we'll go out here and set up some tables and chairs for everybody that's, that feels like it and is able to. My child, remember night and day him who speaks the word of God to you, and honor him as you do the Lord. For wherever the lordly rule is uttered, there is the Lord. And seek out day by day the faces of the saints in order that you may rest upon their words. Now here's the way I broke this down. As I studied it, I saw that this part is about a Christian's behavior toward their teachers, toward the people that are teaching them the Word of God. And so you tell me from this, what is our job to do toward the people that give us the Word of God? What are we supposed to do here? Alright, but start at the very beginning. What's the first verb you see? My child what? Remember. Remember how often? Okay. Him who speaks the Word of God to you. What do you think He means here? What command is He giving us? What is He telling us to do? I believe that's exactly what He's doing. He's saying, night and day, you remember the people that are giving you the Word of God the people that are, are teaching you how to, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And after you pray for them, next, what do we do next? Honor Him. In other words, the word honor means to, to put a value on, to place a high value on them, right? Honor Him as you do the Lord. Why? Why should you do this according to the next statement? There you go. There you go. Wherever the Word of God, God in truth is being proclaimed, God Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, is present there. Do you hear what this is saying? This is the point. Is that we have to be careful that we understand. It's not Kevin Wells. It's the fact that God is using. You remember, you remember the way that um, Moses and Miriam and Aaron were? They were very close, very tight. But then Miriam and Aaron got to a place to where they believed that we don't need God to speak the Word of God through Moses anymore. God can talk to us the same way that He does to Moses, right? You remember that? And you remember when they spoke that word against Moses, what God did? He struck Miriam with leprosy. Do you remember that? The point being, and you can go back and find that, here's the point. God had selected Moses to speak this word. And as a result of that, when they dishonored Moses, who were they actually dishonoring? 
You see what the point is? So it's got nothing to do with me. It goes back to the fact that ultimately, if you honor the Word of God when it's spoken in truth, right? Then ultimately, you're honoring God. Remember and honor. That's exactly right. And that's the point. And, I, and that's difficult for me to teach tonight because I feel like I'm trying to put myself up on this. But that's not, that's not the point. That's exactly right. But, but again, here's the main point. The main point I want you to see is that at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's the fact that what you're ultimately either honoring or dishonoring is God. That's how much value God puts on His Word. Do you see what I'm saying? And because that's the value He puts on His Word, this is the way He calls you to treat the one that is delivering the Word to you. And that may be your Sunday school teacher. That may be your... You see what... I mean, it's wherever. Notice what it said. For wherever the lordly rule is uttered, there is the Lord. His presence is there. And so if you dishonor whenever the lordly word is being spoken, then ultimately you have dishonored the presence of the Lord. And that's the point that, that is being made here. So this is our behavior toward our teachers and our leaders that are speaking the word of God in truth to us. And notice what he says next. Not only do we remember and honor them, but what else do we do? Huh? Seek them. How often should you seek them? Day by day. <laughs> Y'all get mad at me because I try to keep you past 12 o'clock on Sunday. <laughs> seek them day by day. Now why should you seek the teachers of the Word of God day by day? Why should you seek their faces in order that what? So there is a a comfort in the Word of God, is there not? There's direction in the Word of God. There's, there's um, counsel in the Word of God. There's wisdom in the Word of God. That's exactly right. And there should be, as Peter said, a desire in us like newborn babes in Christ, let us desire for the pure milk of the Word of God. You remember that? And that's the way that it should be in us. There should be a desire in us to, God, I want to hear Your Word. I want to hear what Your Word says. And then next he says, Do not long for division. Now here we get into behavior toward our church members. How do we behave toward our church members? Well, here's, here's what it says. Do not long for division, but rather bring those who contend to what? So how should, we, how should we do toward our church members as Christians, as people who follow Christ? That's right. That's right. We're not people that are looking to add division or we're trying to get into division. How many of you know that what comes natural to us is when somebody offends us, what's the first thing you start doing? You start building your team, right? You go talking to your friends. So-and-so did this. Can you believe that so-and-so did this? Or so-and-so said this? And that's what comes natural to us, right? 
Come on, y'all act like you're holier than thou. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. And this is what we do. And what he's telling us here is that the way that a Christian is called to live is not a Christian that longs for division, but a Christian that seeks to help make peace between those who are in contention in some way. And this goes back to what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God, or they shall... I'd have to look it up now. Matthew chapter 5, you can find that for yourself. But still, the fact of the matter is, is that the heart of someone that's following the Lord Jesus Christ is somebody that has a heart to be a peacemaker, not a peace breaker. And so, if I know that, that um, Bob and Daniel have some contention... My job should not be to try to find which team. Am I going to be Team Bob or am I going to be Team Daniel? My heart should be that I long for us to be one team. How can I help these two to make peace? Because how many of you know that we're going to offend one another? There you go. Uh, Thank you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In other words, they're chips off the old block. You know why? Because God is a God of peace. Now, yes, God is a God of wrath. Absolutely. But God is a God that seeks for peace. Seeks for peace so much that He gave His only begotten Son. You see what I'm saying? The Bible tells us that He is the Prince of Peace. The Bible tells us that we should have peace with God. The Bible tells us that there is a peace of God that we should have. The Bible tells us that that we are supposed to preach the gospel of peace to others. And so no matter where you look in the Bible, the whole point is that God is a God of peace. And God's a God that seeks peace. And we should be people that we are sons of God and we are peacemakers the same way that our Heavenly Father is a peacemaker. Let me see how as far as I'm going to go tonight. So um, we're going to pick up next week. And again, this is your behavior toward church members and people in the church. How we should act toward each other. And so if you want to look at that, and um, we'll come back next week and we'll start looking at what it looks like to behave toward each other as a Christian in the church. Any questions on what we studied tonight? Did you find anything that you could apply to your life? (laughs) I hope that you did. I hope you did. I hope that you found an area that you say, okay, here's, here's an area that I have got to, I've got to really pay attention to. And I've got to really start working on in my life. And I hope that um, as a Christian and a disciple of Jesus Christ, that there's a desire in you to follow it. All right. Any comments before we close? Tim, did I run you off? Okay. All right. Good. All right. Well, thank you all so much for your time your attention tonight. We'll uh, pick back up next week and go from there. If you all would... Um, Help um, if you're able to hang around, go out to the building here in a minute. We're going to try to put up tables and chairs. If you feel like hanging out and staying, the youth are also going to help. So I feel like as many people as we'll have, what, five minutes?
we'll probably be done. But um, if you can help with that, I'd appreciate it very much. So if y'all would, let's go to Lord in prayer and you'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for, um, Lord, just um, your patience with us. Father, thank you for um, the long-suffering that you have with us. Father, thank you that you are gentle. Thank you that you are kind. Thank you that, Father, you're no respecter of person. Father, thank you that you don't enjoin yourself to to so-called lofty ones, Father. But, Lord, you seek out the lowliest among us. Father, you said that you dwell in the humble and the poor in spirit. Father, that's where you dwell. That's where you make your home. And Father, I pray, God, that we can be the same kind of people, that we can be sons of God, that we can be peacemakers, that we can join ourselves with the lowly. Father, I pray, God, that we can be people who um, are not grumblers, not complainers. Father, people that don't blaspheme against You and speak ill against things that are precious to You. Father, I pray, God, that You would help us to um, have control over our tongues. Father, I pray, God, that You would teach us... um, Uh, Lord, how to be children of yours. And so, Father, I pray, God, that tonight each and every one of us have found an area that we can apply your word to our lives and become more like you. Father, I thank you so much again for your patience with us. And I thank you, God, that you teach us more and more every time we get together. Father, I thank you for your word. And, Lord, I thank you that wherever your word is spoken, there you are. And, Father, I thank you, God, that um, you're with us tonight. Father, we love you. And I just pray, God, that um, as we go out through the rest of this week, that we continue to bring you glory in our lives, in our workplaces, in our, as husbands and wives. And, Father, wherever we are, Father, I pray, God, that you look down and you're pleased with what you see. Father, I thank you for what we celebrate this weekend. Father, I pray, God, that you would help us to, um, to remember, remember what you have done for us, the sacrifice that you have made. And, Father, I pray, God, that you help us to celebrate celebrate, God, what it means to us and, Father, what you've done for us. Father, we love you. We praise you for all that you are. And we ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.